Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, still less ukulele. Yeah, well, that'll change someday. 108 episodes and it hasn't so far. (laughs) It's because you burned all my ukuleles. (laughs) For the better of man. (laughs) In this episode, we take a look at the powerhouse of American craft beer and give you our thoughts on the West Coast IPA. What is it? What do we look for? And how has it changed over the years? And is there a new version of it arising? Prepare for arguments. Well, disagreements at least. But before that, here's some great info from some great people. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. All right, welcome back, and thank you for listening to those messages from our fine sponsors. Remember, as always, if you have a chance to interact with them, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files so that they know their money is going somewhere. <laughs> as opposed to uh, just buying us beer. Now, as we said in the intro, this episode is all about something that is very near and dear to a lot of American beer drinkers' hearts. That's right. It's time for us to talk about West Coast IPA, because as it turns out, we have opinions. And sometimes they're different. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I mean, it's because you're just wrong so often. Yeah, I know. But look, sometimes you are too. No matter the story that you've heard told, ships rounding the Horn of Africa, ships floundering in the Thames estuary, and so on, we all know that IPA is good. It is the dominant thing in the craft beer world. IPA can be great. And IPA comes in many shapes, colors, and forms. But very specifically, we want to talk about one of them and how it's kind of changed over time. And this is where some of the arguments kind of come into play. But these are the IPAs that Denny and I cut our teeth with. Denny, what kind of IPAs are we talking about? We are talking about good old West Coast IPA. Even that has variants. We're going to dig into some of those in a bit. But just to keep in mind, IPA actually has a much longer history here in America than most people tend to think of, because we all tend to think of it as a craft beer thing. But forever and ever, there was Ballantines, 
And you've heard us talk a little bit about Valentine's recently because, Denny, you just did a clone of Valentine's no, or an homage. An homage, yeah. I, I, because I have no idea what the original was like. I have no idea if I got anywhere close to it. So I just kind of took some of the ingredients that we knew that they used. And, of course, Valentine is not a West Coast IPA. It's just a, a real good American IPA. Hell, it was weird and different. It was aged in oak for up to a year, dry hopped for a very long time, and then things changed over times. Um, but Valentine's was around forever. So no matter how much we want to think of us IPAs being a newfangled thing, it's not really. It's an old thing. To me, when we start talking about West Coast IPAs, I think a lot of some of the foundational ones, and then you can throw in any of the ones I'm mi- missing from here, but like Burt Grant usually gets the nod as America's original craft IPA. Yep, I would agree with that. Anchor Liberty, at least from 1983 on, very clearly an IPA, even though Sierra Nevada insisted for years it wasn't. Celebration. (laughs) That's right. Very clearly an IPA. That's right. And one of my favorites, too, man. I got to get out and get some now that it's a holiday season. And now it's in cans. I know. And then, of course, you had other ones like uh, Red Hook IPA, and you have the one that I miss. And uh, people, if you watch my social feed, you know when I was writing this script, because I said this on socials. I miss Bridgeport IPA. You know, I drank a lot of that early in my uh, craft beer journey, I guess you can call it. But it, it was it was very British. And once I started drinking more real West Coast IPA, I kind of lost my taste for the Bridgeport. Well, it kind of, oddly enough, bridged the, the two. Uh, it was an American IPA with some British sensibilities, but also American hops. But that was just a fine, fine beer. Now, of course, that may also be influenced by memories of sitting on their loading dock with a fresh pizza, a pitcher of cask ale or cask IPA after having visited Powell's city of books just down the street and sitting there reading my new purchases while drinking a couple of pints with my best friend from college might be situational, but still I miss the damn beer. Remember beer is very situational. Yeah. It's a, it's a personal thing, man. Those were kind of the, the originals. You saw, to Denny's point, a lot of English influence in, in how they were doing, like very, very much in the way that they were structured. When we say West Coast IPA, Dincenzo, what is in your mind? Like, what's the ultimate West Coast IPA that you can point to for people to try? Oh, the ultimate West Coast IPA. Like when you're thinking about it, like the ur, the, 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 the paragon in which to, to measure against. You know, there there are so many good ones around here that it is hard to pick a real top one. Uh, Oakshire's Watershed IPA is a really good example. Uh, I, of course, Block 15, uh, Sticky Hands, although it's more like a, a double IPA due to its strength. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something along that line. For, for me, uh, a West Coast IPA needs to be crisp, and bracing. Uh, it needs to be well attenuated and it needs to have a real forward bitterness to it. I always liken it to a, a slap in the face. Well, and don't forget, of course, I think for you, when you're thinking of a West Coast IPA, you also kind of tend to lean more towards sort of the classical sea hops, right? At least Chinook for bittering is, is a real uh, favorite of mine. Although uh, in looking through the hop freezer recently, I've been, uh, I have a lot of veterans blends, so I've been using that for bittering and that's a really nice bittering hop. 
again, that's a lot of the citrus, the pine, the dank, the, but none of the, the tropical stuff since all that's relatively new. No noble, no, you know, uh, earthy, fuggle, dirty stuff, right? No, uh, no noble or, or fuggle British stuff to it. But uh, as we'll see when we talk about my survivables IPA recipe later, I kind of go both ways. <laughs> you know, and in that recipe, uh, there were the tropical hops, uh, and then it was dry hop two different ways, which gave it two very different characters. I do want to dig in a little bit. I told, I warned you guys there are IPA generations, right? Things evolve. Styles are not static. If you go and you look back at something like Burt Grant's IPA back in the day, that was very caramelly. You remember that? Oh yeah. It, it, it had a real, a real large sweetness to it. And of course it, 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 they felt like they needed that in order to balance out. I want to say the Burt Grant's was like 55 IBUs. Something like that. Well, you know, and when I started brewing, in the previous century. Back when dinosaurs were That's there. right. All the talk was about um, a malt backbone for an IPA. And, uh, you know, you don't hear that much talk about that these days. It seems to be more about uh, how heavy a hop load you can get into it. But I think that that's one reason why, why for me, uh, if I'm making a West Coast IPA, it's pretty much always going to have at least a little bit of some kind of crystal in it. Let's dig into some of the evolutions because, you know, as my favorite joke is, only the Rolling Stones can continue to be fossilized and frozen in time. All of these hot forward beers, we started with the things that are like the Burt Grants and Red Hook uh, IPA, and they've morphed over time. And I've actually identified three very distinct phases of sort of anomaly West Coast IPA. I know you disagree with me about one oh, of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... The the place to start is exactly where we're talking about this West Coast IPA, right? Um, to me, bitter but not over the top, right? We're not in the IBU wars with a lot of these. You know, there's a, a, a firm bracing bitterness that makes you know it's there, but not so bitter bite that you can't actually go and you know drink another pint of it, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in my mind, uh, they need to come in in the seventy seventy five IBU range. Now, if you're looking, if we're talking like BUG, for people who don't know, that's well, that's a Ray Daniels invention trying to figure out uh, some sort of useful ratio between IBUs and strength, so gravity points. If you're saying 70 IBUs, are you also looking at kind of like that 10 to 70 range for West Coast? Exactly. I generally make mine like with a one-to-one bittering unit to gravity unit ratio. Uh, So if I'm having 70 IBUs and that means the beer is going to come in in the 1070, anywhere from 1068, 1072 is good. As you alluded to, a little bit of caramel malt is a good thing. Back in the day, it used to be a lot of C60, maybe sometimes a C80 or, good Lord, who knows, C120. But, yeah, I think what I'm seeing a lot with people doing sort of classical West Coast IPAs nowadays that do use crystal malt is they're focusing more on a lower crystal, something like a C20, a C40. You know, right? and I I go back and forth. on It, it kind of like depends on the season. For uh, mm-hmm. cooler, wetter weather like we're into right now, uh, I'm more cool. towards the, the C60, uh, just like you would maybe like drink more stout and porter in the winter. Uh, in the summertime, uh, it's going to be more like uh, 20 or maybe 40. And it's very interesting because one of the things that I've seen talked more and more about is 
damage induced by some of the the things like C60. If you go and you dig into some of the, the reading around like Lodo, for instance, they, they talk a lot about how oxidatively damaged, damaging C60 is. And I've even heard that from some professional brewers, which may be another reason some people have shifted away from it. Theory is often astonished by reality. But again, we're homebrewers, so uh, keep your beer cold. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> and to me, it's just not that big a deal. You know, it's the classic flavor I expect. So because of that C60 or C40 edition, a little more chew in them than I think, than we would think with a modern IPA in a lot of ways. Uh, malt selection, a domestic two-row pale ale. Uh, you're not necessarily going for something that's over the top in terms of character. Although, let's face it, you know, a good base malt is a good thing. Uh, and so, Denny, I think what we've played around with all sorts of base malts for this, everything from yield Great Western two-row pale to the mecha grade malts or root shoot or Viking, you know, there's a lot. And I've even used Marisata a lot of times in doing my IPAs. What do you, what's your go-to base malt? I've been using a lot of uh, mecha grade Lamanta for two reasons. Uh, it tastes really, really good. And I had a whole bunch of it on hand. Uh, I'm almost through it now. Unfortunately, I have to get a hold of some more, but I think that the, the real point is that you need a flavorful base malt. And the more flavor you get in that base malt, then the easier you can go on the other character malts. Speaking of those other character malts, we'd already talk, talked about the crystal malts, so some small portion of C40 to C60. I, I always kind of still stick by the rule of trying to keep crystals down to uh, under a pound per five gallons usually. Yeah, my, my, sure, my rule, I don't have a rule. What, what I shoot for is generally uh, no more than 10% unless I'm going for something special. And then another... Addition that you find a lot of times in West Coast IPAs, it's not universal, but a good base of Munich as well. Yeah, you remember that uh, that Breakside Wanderlust IPA that I was drinking on Experimental Brewing in the pub a couple weeks ago? That is pale malt and Munich, and that is a really, really good combination. Right, and again, what Munich will do is it gives you that kind of firm, bready, toasty malt type character. Right. And in fact, it's a, it's also a good way to cheat if you if the only thing you have access to is a more neutral pale malt, then a little Munich can help uh, sort of give you a little more oomph. Right. And then last two specialty malts that I see routinely, uh, Carapils, because I feel like the, a lot of people just have Carapils in their IPAs by default. Uh, you know, so, and then the other one is also this one I always think is a little bit of a, an anachronistic throwback to times before education, which is uh, a wheat or a wheat malt. People put in both of those because they say it helps with foam retention. Well, you know, if the beer is well made, you can have plenty of foam retention. And let's face it, this is an IPA. When you load up all those hops, the polyphenols in them bind the proteins in the beer, and you're going to get great, great foam out of it without having to worry about adding that other stuff that really doesn't have anything else to bring to the party. Yeah, never forget hops are foam positive. That's right. That's the malt. Water for me in a West Coast IPA or traditional West Coast IPA is sulfate forward, but not excessive. Yep. Again, American brewers don't tend to lean on on the salts as heavy as we'll see like out of Britain, but still more sulfate, not really trying to jam up over like, say, 100 ppm. Oh, yeah, I would I would say 125 to 150 at least. 
Although that said, I have no idea what mine is. That's my, my dirty little secret. Uh, when I started brewing and made a lot of IPAs, all the, the recipes and kits just said, add a teaspoon of gypsum to the boil. That is pretty much what I still do. Uh, my, like I've said, ad infinitum. I have really, really good water here. Normal sulfate level is about 57 parts per million. So I just toss in a heaping teaspoon of gypsum into the boil and that gets me the flavor that I'm going for. And I can't really tell you, (laughs) you know, exactly how much that is. You know, you could figure it out by using brewing water. Oh, of course I could. I could measure the heaping, weigh the heaping teaspoon I put in there and see what it is. Uh, From my point of view, I don't really care because I know how to get where I'm going. To that point, I mean, there are a ton of brewers out there who are still doing that that, that way. In fact, most of the kits I've seen from homebrew shops that include water salts that really are just sort of haphazardly scattered like that but still it can work and that's part of the reason why people could do this before science came around yeah i mean the 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 really important thing is to know what you're going for and how to get there and then you know if you want to try and translate that to somebody else then you got to know the numbers but as long as it's just for you find what works so mashing all of these things that we're going to talk about are pretty much single infusion yeah uh, Denny, do you, what's your preferred single infusion rest? Uh, 153. Yeah, so kind of shooting in the in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually around like 152. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, man, I, th- that's going to make a huge difference, Drew. Yep. Nope. Now onto the hopping because, of course, IPA, it's all about the hops. And this is one of the places where I think we see a lot of structural differences between what I kind of think of as these different generations of West Coast IPA. And for a classical west coast ipa i see traditional kettle hopping you know you got your your bittering at 60 you got like a 30 a, fi- a 10 maybe a 15 a 5 and like a dry hop yeah and of course play around in there but the point is that with the traditional west coast ipa you see a lot more kettle additions you see sort of a more broad spectrum use of the hops across the kettle well and let's not forget first word hopping too Although that's not in the recipe that we're going to be talking about today. That is a real standard part of probably 80% of the beers that I brew. I mean, I brewed a porter the other day. It had first word hops. If I'm brewing a Pilsner, it gets first word hops. Uh, IPA almost always. Yeah. And of course, that's also one of those things where stylistically, that's like a brewer's tick, right? That's something that may be one of your signatures that other people aren't doing. Well, they should. Well, yeah, but I really do a first word hop. <laughs> Well, you should then. So, again, focus on a lot of kettle hops. Denny, I'm guessing you do, like, what, one dry hop? You're not a fan of doing the double dry hopping and all that sort of stuff, right? No, I just I can't see any reason for it. Uh, I, I may dry hop heavily. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to uh, dry hop uh, a West Coast IPA with, say, two ounces of cryo hops. Uh, and I, kn- I know that they say you should use half as much cryo hops, but screw that. When you get something really good, <laughs> you want to you want to really get into it. So, uh, you know, cryo hops come in two ounce packages, the whole thing goes. In. Well, but remember that, you know, use half the dry hopping or half the cryo for the regular hops is to replicate the experience of that regular T90. So in this particular case, yeah, if you're doubling up on your cryo hops, then you're doubling up on your oils. So you're good. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what I want. I want more and more and more. I'm not trying to recreate uh, the, the wimpy little beers that I make with the T90. I want this to really stand out. And also, very importantly, you don't do any whirlpool hopping because you don't. You you're not a big believer in it. Uh, you know what? I didn't find I was getting anything from whirlpool hopping that I couldn't get, like either from late kettle additions or dry hopping. So it's kind of like, what's the point? I'm not going to mess with it. But again, mix and match some of your hop choices here, boys and girls, because that's how you get to different beers. Now, in terms of the hop varieties, we mentioned them earlier, the seas. It's all all seas all the time, right? Your Chinooks, your Cascade, your Centennial, your CTZ, and those are kind of the classical ones. Again, citrusy, piney, dank, but not uh, you know, not not again the tropical side. Well, and there's at least for my taste, some tropical is okay as long as there's the other side in there. Well, you don't want it to be the dominant character. No, no, definitely not. Uh, that's why I'm finding like some of the blends that uh, Yakima Chief makes are, are really, really good for for late hopping uh, because they have enough of the the slap to them uh, that it kind of mellows out the tropical flavor. <laughs> Make this beer less smoothie. <laughs> exactly. And for yeast, I think it's pretty safe to say that for all the generations that we're going to be talking about here. It's it's that Valentine's Chico complex, right? You know, it's oh one ten fifty six oh five fourteen fifty. Well, hold on, wait, wait, just a dang minute. That's going to be what is sort of ninety percent of the those IPAs out there. You've got things like twelve seventy two, which is purportedly the Anchor Liberty yeast. You've got Stone using like what I think WLP oh seven, and yes, fourteen fifty. Also, I've I've known other people out there who've done really great things with. What, SO4, I think, uh, for making IPAs? You have a number of choices, but classically speaking, for the West Coast IPA, a lot of times it's going to be that 001-1056 complex. Yeah, again, for me, I just want something that isn't going to stomp on the hops and the malt that I've put in there. Not overly fruity, clean, well attenuating. It gets in, makes ethanol, gets out of the way, and lets your hops shine. Anything else to add about the West Coast IPA? No, I I think that that is pretty much the blueprint for a classic one. Uh, the the new West Coast IPA that we're about to talk about at least is in the same same range for me. So what I'm calling the new West Coast IPA, which these days of course is no longer the new West Coast IPA, it's now the new old West Coast IPA. This to me is the thing that's the end product of all those IBU wars that we we suffered through in the early 2000s. More IBUs, more bitter, more all the time. And, of course, this was also one of those things that uh, San Diegans uh, tried to claim as a San Diego pale ale. Uh, But I think the rest of the West Coast shouted them down on that fact. To me, this new West Coast IPA, or modern West Coast IPA, however you want to think about it, is bitter, aggressively so, with a fairly large punch and the idea of malt is almost strictly verboten. Right. Uh, and, and while I, I like these beers in general, they are definitely all about the hops. I think one of the differences between you and I is that when we're drinking IPAs, you tend to go more for this sort of classical West Coast IPA. These new modern West Coast IPAs are tend to be the ones I'm drinking because they're the ones that are more available to me. <laughs> um, right. Now, and again – as we said, like looking at what the, the malts are in here, 
outside of carapils, caramel malt is basically a no-go. You don't use it. Um, the base on a lot of these is actually usually a blend of two-row pale malt and pilsner malt. Because what a lot of the breweries are going for is even lighter character. Now, I still actually do like some malt character in here. So even if I'm making one of these, I still want to use a really interesting base malt. Even though a lot of times I think what a lot of the breweries are using a very plain and neutral sort of malt, like a great Western two row and not really going for something that's going to get a lot of heft and, and body to, to the beer. But again, pretty much all of these that I've had, it's a mix of two row pale and Pilsner or just two row pale. Very little else. Yeah, I mean, and again, I I like them. I find them tasty, but I do find them a, a bit on the the thin side. Well, and that's accentuated with the water treatment because water pushes the sulfate harder. It, there's, it, or actually, it's probably roughly at the same level as the sort of traditional West Coast IPA, but without any of that extra malt in there, the effect of it seems more profound. So again, talking right. that hundred to hundred and fifty ppm of of sulfate just to really sort of dry out the back end and allow the hops to shine a little bit more. I was going to say, it's not like they're dry and not dry enough already. No, but more dry, more dry. I look, we're in California. It's always drought conditions. (laughs) And this is a good time just to mention real quickly that uh, as Martin Brungard has uh, instructed us many times, we always used to say sulfate enhanced the hoppiness of a beer. What it really does is enhances the dry finish of a beer. All right. Now on to hopping. Remember in the West Coast IPA, the traditional West Coast IPA, we talked about, you know, sort of a lot of standard kettle additions. Here in the new or modern West Coast IPA, it's hops everywhere. But the kettle additions, in my experience, are highly simplified. Got a bittering charge at 60, maybe a five-minute charge or knockout charges, and then hops in the whirlpool. And depending upon who you are, it may be an off-the-boil whirlpool or doing something like going down to 180, 170 to try and preserve more oils. Dry hopped, potentially sometimes doubly dry hopped, but a lot more concentration on getting more oil in, but not at the expense of bitterness. So again, these beers are largely driven by a bitterness. And that you see that with uh, the kettle additions, the way they, they're structured. In terms of the hop varieties... Again, with all your C's, but now, of course, supplemented with the more newfangled hops that have showed up over the last couple of decades. So Simcoe, Citra, Amarillo are big stars here. But again, still sort of shying away a lot more from the the big tropically things like Galaxy. You will see a lot of mosaic, though. And again, the yeast, same thing. 01, 1056, 05, a clean fermenting yeast gets rid of all the malt allows the hops to shine. Denny, any other thoughts about this sort of new West Coast IPA? No, I think I've already pretty much expressed my opinion. I mean, again, like I said, I I like them. I find them about a a bit thin and exceptionally all about the hops, but because I love hops, that's not a big deal. Okay. And of course, we can't do an episode like this without a little controversy. And in this particular case, we've talked through these two West Coast IPAs. I'm seeing a trend for a third West Coast IPA, and Denny doesn't agree with me. At least agree with me on the on the the nomenclature, shall we say? Yeah. And so, what I'm calling the newest West Coast IPA is 
what I see as the West Coast response to the rise of hazy IPAs. So if you think hazy IPAs are all about that aroma, all about that flavor with very little bittering, these newest West Coast IPAs or modern, ultra modern West Coast IPA are less bitter than either the West Coast IPA or the new West Coast IPA that I talked about, uh, but not to the same level as, say, like a New England IPA. They still have bitterness to them. You still get a bite in the back end. It's just now it's backed off the gas pedal, so it's not all about the bitter bite. Um, and so they're a lot less punchy than others, but definitely have more of an edge to them than a hazy IPA. There's more focus on that aroma and flavor. So we already started to see some of that shift with the new West Coast IPA where we're getting more whirlpool hopping, we're getting more dry hopping, we're getting less kettle additions to try and get more oils. But even then, it's still got that bite. Generally, the same style of malt bills as the the new West Coast IPA. So again, at least this is in my experience, because again, this is what I get in my area, that mix of pale two-row and Pilsner malt without much else. Fewer kettle additions, much larger whirlpool hop charges. There's a hop haze to the beer, but it's not an intentionally hazed beer, right? You're not going to pour one of these new newest West Coast IPAs and pour it into a glass and confuse it for a heady topper or something from Treehouse. It's not going to look like glowing orange juice. But it is going to not be clear as clear as, say, somebody's Kolsch, particularly a non-black Kolsch. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> you know, and I would have to say that this is a very tasty beer, but I don't consider it a West Coast IPA at all because it dismisses the main tenet of West Coast IPA, which is the bracing bitterness. Well, it's to me, it's an evolution. It's a step back, and to me, what it, I actually I, think I, of it, I, no, it, it's something different. I mean, you know, if you if you change the definition, then grape juice could be a West Coast IPA, and basically, what this is doing is changing the definition of what a West Coast IPA is. So let's just let's let's call it the the new IPA or something like that. But it has nothing really in my mind to do with a West Coast IPA, except for it's the new version of IPA being brewed on the West Coast. Yes, it's a new version of IPA. It's being brewed on the West Coast, but it has nothing to do with the uh, traditional West Coast IPA, in my humble opinion. Duly noted and duly uh, duly dismissed. <laughs> Back at you. <laughs> but to, to structure these beers, again, like I said, we're seeing the same sort of malt bill that you'd see in that very bitter San Diego-style West Coast IPA. We are seeing water that is more neutral. So it is not going for a hundred to 150 parts per million of sulfate. And it's also not going for that same sort of charge of chloride that we're seeing in like some of the hazies. It's going for a more balanced water profile, usually leaning a little more sulfate in the, the examples I've had, but not again, trying to drive uber salt into the beer. Hopping, what I see a lot of is a small kettle edition, usually a very lightweight 60-minute kettle edition, because brewers out there have learned that just a small amount of hops in the kettle will help keep the kettle under control. You don't get boilovers in the same way. So hops as uh, as kettle break. But then what we're seeing is to borrow from some of the New England traditions, very heavy whirlpool editions 
and multiple dry hops with the timing being much more in line with some of the stuff that you and I have talked about, Denny, you know, along with the shell hammer and the other pieces of data that are coming out, those shorter, colder dry hop times, although not always colder at the professional levels, right? You know, a lot of times with the, the breweries I'm talking about, I'll see them doing, oh, we do a three day dry hop at 60, right? And that's, that's what they're extracting at. So again, small kettle additions, still enough to get bitterness, Still enough impact from Whirlpool hops to also get bitterness, but really with a large focus on what flavor and aroma that you can get to. But still drier, the yeast focus is still that same Valentine's complex. So a dry beer, not hazy, but with a lot more hop aroma and flavor than as the focus than, say, a West Coast IPA traditional or the new West Coast IPA. Whether or not you consider this to be a West Coast IPA, like Denny doesn't, or if you consider it to be an evolution of the style or a different fork in the evolutionary branch, shall we say, then this is one of the newest trends I'm seeing out here on the West Coast. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, if they just called it IPA, hey, I got no problem with that. Uh, my problem's trying to to call it something that is already clearly defined as something else. Well, and, th- and that's the thing is I've seen uh, – one thing we didn't talk about was hop varieties in here. Uh, again, with these, it's a lot more the the – Citra, Amarillo, Mosaic, Galaxy, like a lot of the hops that we would associate with a a New England style IPA just used differently. And I've seen differing terminology around this, right? I have seen some people call it a West Coast IPA because in their mind, the clear definition of West Coast IPA as opposed to a New England IPA is that it's clear and not hazy. And that's sort of the bridge point there for some people. I've also seen people refer to it as a modern IPA. And I've also seen other people refer to it as a tropical IPA. The definition and what exact label we stick on this is still way up in the air because we all know that beer styles can come and go within a matter of months. Just look at Brute IPA. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look at it quick because then it'll be gone. Brute IPA, it came and it went and everybody, everybody was like, what? <laughs> it was just like in 1999 when everybody was suddenly into uh, neo-swing music. Squirrel nut zippers. Yes, we were very offended to be included in that movement. But if the shoe fits. <laughs> Let's talk an actual example here. Denny, you had talked about the Survivables IPA that you just did. Sort of taking both your traditional techniques for West Coast IPA and taking some of the new stuff in that pamphlet from Yakima Chief, all about Survivables and structuring hop compounds so that so that you get more oomph out of everything. And you made a Survivable IPA, which... The way that you bill it, it is a West Coast IPA, just with some newfangled technique behind it. Well, newfangled technique was looking at the book. And we've talked about the Survivables booklet quite a bit. Uh, and there's a great chart in it that shows various levels of various oils for each hop and when they are best used uh, during the brewing process. So for this beer, I took a look at that chart and uh, I tried to put together uh, hops that would be complementary and I tried to use them in a way that would be very long lasting in the beer. 
the grist, and by the way, I think you're going to hear our guest, uh, Britain, in the background here. Uh, the grist was 93.8% uh, La Manta, the uh, pale barley from uh, Mecca Grade, and 6.3% uh, 20 Crystal. Uh, again, because I was making this a couple months ago when it was warmer out there, I went for the lighter Crystal. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, too, I've got a bunch of Vets Blend in the freezer. Uh, great, great hot blend plus 13% AA. So I threw that in for bittering and everything else went in from 15 minutes on down. There was about half an ounce of uh, Simcoe at 15 minutes. There were, and these were cryos, Simcoe cryo at 15 minutes. There was, oh, just a touch of mosaic cryo, a little under two tenths of an ounce at uh, 12 minutes. There was the wonderful cryo pop, two full ounces that went in at 10 minutes and uh, cascade cryo there was an ounce that went in at five minutes and uh, citra cryo another ounce went in at uh, flame out so basically between uh, 15 minutes and flame out there was what one two four yeah, but getting close to five ounces of cryo hops in the last uh, 15 minutes of the boil. And, you know, in spite of the fact that Yakima Chief may tell you that you can use half as much cryo as uh, as T90s, uh, like I said, uh, I don't care about trying to match some other results. I'm trying for outstanding results. <laughs> so that was the basic beer. And, uh, you know, it was 12 gallons. I split it into two fermenters, six gallons each. Uh, one half was dry hopped with two ounces of the cryo pop, which is a, a very tropical forward hop. Mm -hmm. And the other half was dry hopped with uh, an ounce of cryo cascade and an ounce of cryo centennial. So that was very, very traditional looking. And how, how long? And did you do the cold rest? Oh, yeah, I did just what I always do. My, the only way I ever dry hop anymore is for 48 to 72 hours at 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So both of those were done the same way. The uh, dry hop with cryopop half came out very tropical uh, forward. The uh, dry hop with Cascade and Centennial, you definitely get those characters from that beer and it gives it much more of an old school throwback despite all the uh, other more tropical hops in it and one thing that i'm really really jazzed about let me see when did i brew this i'm looking for a date well, your, note, I your notes on the dry hop are from 1004 yeah no it, it was longer ago than, oh because i added that in in the notes this is this was brewed at least Geez, several months ago, because the the keg with the cryopop dry hops is gone, and the keg with the um, the cascades and uh, centennial is about half gone. But the point I was getting to is that this is like two months or more, and I am still just getting the most amazing hop flavor and aroma out of this beer. And as, as you know, I don't take any extraordinary low oxygen methods or something. I just do my best to keep oxygen out of it. Uh, when it was time to dry hop this beer, I pulled the airlock on the fermenter for about, well, actually I timed it. It took me three seconds to pour in the dry hops and you're not going to get gas mixing in three seconds. So, you know, I, I didn't, I don't feel like I need to take any, uh, except, 
exceptional steps to do it, but man, it just hangs in and hangs in. And I think that that's partially because of the fact that uh, I used the, the survivables info to get uh, my hop schedule going. And of course, it has something to do with the fact that there's five ounces of cryo hops in the last 15 minutes of the boil. And, and the dry hop, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, right. And and two ounces of, of cryo hops dry hopped into each one. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about that because you said using the survivables. You have that veterans blend as your very early addition. Was there anything in the survivals book about survivability for vets blend? I mean, I assume it probably not because it changes, right? Yeah, no, in the book, it's just all individual varieties. Uh, and so I don't really know what, if anything, the Veterans Blend for Bittering was contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, because, because it gets stopped on by all the other hops going in there. Well, looking at the calculations, it's only 17 out of the 63 or so IBUs in this beer. Right, exactly. So, but but all this stuff in here, I mean, the order of these hop additions is all structured around the idea of, you know, hey, more compounds, even though you've, you're really still largely kind of in the same window. Yeah, exactly. I What I did was I, I looked at them to see which ones would be better a little bit earlier, uh, which ones would be better a little bit later. Again, we're talking over the span of 15 minutes. Um, and I took a look at the types of oil and the amount of each one of those oils according to the graph. So I wasn't like doubling up on on one aspect, you know? Again, you know, so you got a little bit of a blend here, but the whole idea is you're still at like, like, well, what the OG was calculated to be like 1070. And so 1070 right. versus 63 IBUs uh, and a buttload of of the, the late additions in order to kind of drive some more aroma. Now, if we're right. looking at this for a, if we're calling this a, a classical West Coast IPN, in order to take this idea and go from this to the new West Coast IPA that's more San Diego style, Really, what the easiest change to be would be to drop the C20. Just what I was going to say. And even possibly, if you wanted to stick with Mecha Grade, you know, do a blend between Lamanta and Pelton. Right? Remember, Pelton's the, the Pilsner malt. Yeah, yeah, because again, that would thin out the, uh, the malt flavor some and, uh, you know, and give you more of that West or that uh, San Diego flavor. And then the other thing I would do is, Keep the veterans blend as, as that bittering addition that you got. Might even actually bump that up a touch. Yeah, I agree. And then pull more of those cryo, uh, pull more of these late additions away from the fifteen ten five, and slot them in either as zero additions, so knockout additions, or even go and say, okay, now we're going to now we're going to have some more whirlpool additions. And but again, I mean, you don't whirlpool. I do. Do we have time to talk about Whirlpool for a minute? It's our show. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, man, and how many homebrewers Whirlpool and why. Now, in a commercial brewery, you have to Whirlpool to kind of separate the trube from the wort. And for them, it was a logical place to throw in more hops. For homebrewers, though, I mean, again, based on what I discovered between late editions and dry hops, and Whirlpool not really doing anything. For homebrewers, it, it's almost like this conceit that, oh, I'm going to be like a commercial brewer and do Whirlpool, even though I don't need to Whirlpool. 
Does that make sense to you? Yeah, but I think there's some people out there who would argue that by doing role playing, you're going to extract a different character out of it. I, but I, I disagree with that. I don't think that you will. I, you know, uh, I, I have compared, I would like to hear from other people who have compared the two and find out, you know, just what the difference is. It sounds like a thing that we need to do. Yeah. I, I agree. World pulling, and it's also funny to me, like, cause the other, the other thing that world pulling falls in the face of is as we see people talking more and more about, like, Trying to limit oxygen exposure in various steps. I mean, whirlpooling is an oxygen intensive step. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. It's like th- these are the same people who will go out and spend 150 bucks on some device to uh, drop dry hops into their beer without oxygenating it after they've done like a, a 45 minute whirlpool sucking all kinds of oxygen into it. Whirlpooling again, I do it. You don't. Is it? Is it absolutely necessary? It sounds like a thing that we need to test. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, necessary is, is one thing. What I want to find out, and again, my my experiments, uh, my, my observations, are that I didn't get anything out of whirlpooling that I couldn't get out of the traditional editions. Right. Again, that was the, the newfangled uh, West Coast IPA for the disputed West Coast IPA. There you go. <laughs> the controversial West Coast IPA of modern times. What I would do with this is I would actually keep that veterans one hop edition at the same, you know, make the same malt changes that we talked about with, with the, the newfangled West coast IPA, keep the veterans blend at the, the one ounce level that you've got it at now, you know, that very small bittering charge effectively, and then take everything that's in here and shove it into whirlpool and dry hop. And that would drastically, you'd be, you'd be losing a lot of bitterness doing that. I know. I guess that's the point, huh? For that, for the, uh, the IPA that shall not be named. I mean, I might keep like, like say the cryopop edition, which is giving you 25 IBUs out of this thing. You have it in there at 10 minutes for the, the West Coast IPA. I might keep that as a knockout edition. So it has more heat time. But I mean, otherwise, yeah, I, I would probably shove more and more of these, uh, further back, very much kind of like with the, the San Diego. Let's go back to the survivables booklet. Maybe some of these wouldn't do, wouldn't, uh, be the right ones for later editions. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, I'm just thinking from a point of view of like how the hop editions would look. Yeah, right. I mean, the varieties might change. Yeah, but in in terms right. of how it gets structured mechanically. Yeah, because I I chose these uh, from the the chart, the survivables chart, as hops that would be good kettle editions. Uh, if you were going to do them in whirlpool, you might want to choose totally different hops. Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to talk about was you also used, we talked a lot about the yeast and, you know, using that uh, Ballantine's complex. You used one of the ones that we didn't mention, which was the BRY. Yeah, the BRY 97. Uh, if I'm not using uh, 1450, then chances are that I will be using BRY 97 because it gets me the results I want and it's dead easy. Yep. All right. So there are a couple of different thoughts it's kind of funny, you know, last night in preparation for this, I actually went out and I grabbed a pack of uh, Sierra Nevada's Denkful IPA. Have you had that one yet? No, I haven't. Yeah, it, it's very much a sort of throwback uh, throw, a throwback IPA uh, with a two-row pale, car- uh, caramel malt, and a little bit of rye. And then the hops on it are Columbus, Chinook, Mosaic, Yukonot, uh, and Idaho 7. I got to find this. Yep. It's, uh, it's one of their one of their big regular ones that you can buy right now, right next to all your little thing beers. That's our thoughts on West Coast IPAs. Unless Denny, you have anything else that you want to shout out at people before we go? 
No, uh, I just want to say, give us your thoughts, you know, uh, tell us how right I am. Yeah. And t- uh, tell us how right I am that there is a new emerging style of West Coast IPA. A new emerging style of IPA. It ain't West Coast because West Coast is defined and that's not how it's defined. I, I, I never knew you to be so procrustean. Crusty. Oh, uh, man. Crusty. Look, yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't call pigs poodles either. All right. We're getting out of here. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you've enjoyed this look at West Coast IPA. So, what makes your favorite West Coast IPA sing? What is your favorite? What is your favorite hop? And more importantly, what did we miss? Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcastexperimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at ExperimentalBrew.com or Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brews, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It's Project Freedom Ride, uh, an organization that uh, brings homeless dogs from Texas and Georgia up to the Pacific Northwest where people like me can adopt them and love them forever. Yes, and as you can tell, we've had a Pro- Project Freedom Ride <laughs> alumni on the on the show today. Good old That's right. Good old Britain barking in the background. Yep. So, until next time, remember to always brew wacky or brew experimentally and the brew is out there. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. 